Hey there, Radiant Souls. It's your host, Gina Kunadian, bursting with excitement to welcome you back to season two of the Shine Within podcast. You've been with me through our incredible first season, and now it's time to crank up the intensity. You know me, your energetic cheerleader, a mom of three fabulous boys, an empowering certified massage therapist, and the game-changing alcohol-free sobriety coach. With my trademark enthusiasm, I'm here to uplift more motivated women to break free from the chains of alcohol dependency. And guess what? We're still defining the norms with our unique non-traditional approach. Get ready to supercharge your transformation as I bring you an all-new lineup of awe-inspiring guests this season. They're the powerhousers in the realms of mindset, health, and spirituality. And they're all set up to equip you with potent tips and tools. We're talking about crafting unyielding confidence, honing laser-focused clarity, and infusing your life with exhilarating energy. This season, our mission is to ignite your creative potential to even greater heights, helping you to manifest the life of your dreams, all while living vibrantly, alcohol-free. So buckle up as we journey deeper into the realm of self-discovery, awakening the inner magnificence that's ready to burst forth. Season 2 of Shine Within is about to take you to new horizons. Get ready to experience your true power and unleash your brilliance. So if you are ready to shine even brighter, welcome. Hey, lovely listeners. If you're finding value in what you're hearing today, make sure to head over to the show notes. Not only will you find more details on today's topic, but you'll also get an exclusive invitation to join my free Facebook group, Awakened Souls. This community is perfect for women who are either sober curious or currently journeying through recovery. Being part of Awakened Souls offers a supportive environment where you can connect with like-minded women, all working towards an alcohol-free lifestyle. Plus, there are special free gifts waiting for you inside the show notes, curated specifically to empower and assist you on your journey. If you're loving the content, I'd be also so grateful if you take a moment to rate this podcast. Your feedback helps me continue bringing you the conversations and insights you love. Let's keep the momentum going. And remember, you're not alone on this journey. I am here for you every step of the way. Welcome back to the Shine Within Podcast. Today, we're joined by Nikki Sachs, an inspiring figure who has courageously navigated the complexities of living with borderline personality disorder. As a wellness mentor, author, and entrepreneur, Nikki shares her profound insights on mental health, personal growth, and the power of vulnerability. In this episode, we delve into her journey, discussing the challenges and breakthroughs she's encountered and the wisdom she's gained along the way. Join us as an enlightening conversation that promises to deepen your understanding of mental health and inspire you to embrace your own journey. Wow, thank you so much for joining my show today. What an honor to have you, Nikki. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Now, for our listeners who don't really know about um, personality disorder, um, can you please share with the audience how it was like living with it and how it actually has impacted your daily life? Well, thank you for asking. So I, about uh, six years ago, seven years ago, was diagnosed with something called borderline personality disorder. Uh, about 1.6% of the population know about that, um, or sorry, I have suffered from it, but they, most people don't understand what borderline personality disorder was. And when I found out about it, I looked like everybody does on Dr. Google, and I was horrified at what they said that I was the type of person that I was. 
So basically, um, you know, discovering it was rather was rather scary. But at the same time, what it did for me is it made me realize why my life seemed to be a whole bunch of psychological uh, things that just happened all strung together, and why I couldn't really get a grasp on anything specific. When I'm what I'm referring to is uh, with borderline, um, you have a very un, like a wavering sense of yourself. So my self-worth was in question all the time. I didn't know where I fitted in. Um, I found relationships incredibly difficult to maintain, both friendships and relation, uh, you know, romantic relationships. Um, very highly emotive, so triggered quite easily by the smallest things. The, the main thing about borderline or BPD is it's a, it's a sense, uh, there's, a, there's a massive fear of abandonment. So anything that could trigger that fear um, makes the person respond to the world in a way that isn't rational. So highly impulsive. Um, so how it affected me is literally in everything that I did for most of my life. Yeah, I remember um, I was just sharing with you before I hit record that for many, many years I was uh, an alcoholic. And I remember when I would drink, I would get very irrational and go off of impulse and start doing things that normally I would not do today. So for example, I remember one time when I was married, this was my first marriage. I remember I was in my delusional mind. Um, I thought he was like seeing somebody, which wasn't true. It was in my head. So then I was getting all angry and frustrated. And I remember I was grabbing his clothes and throwing them out on our a patio, like, get out. Da, da, da. And he wasn't even home yet, <laughs> you know? So the story that you make up in your head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was a story that I made up in my head and I was just acting on it. And I remember that's the time that he says, no more, Gina, I'm taking our son and we're staying at my mom's house because your behavior is very irrational. So I've experienced those different um, impulses. Now, do you see it very common with um, women versus men or is it about the same? I think that, um, you know, this, firstly, there's borderline traits and there's borderline personality disorder. It's the same of, as narcissism. There's people that can have narcissistic traits and they're those that are just completely overt that have narcissistic personality disorder. So when I mention a lot of the traits about borderline, people go, but hang on a second, that sounds a bit like me or I've done that or that's, you know, so there's a lot of traits um, you know, that that a lot of people have, but they're not, it's a, it's a clinical diagnosis. It's not something that we can just say, oh, well, I feel borderline. So that's being said. Um, I think that the reason women respond the way they do in situations like you're talking about, firstly, when you drink, as you know, uh, all sense of self and everything just kind of goes out the window. And I know this because as I shared with you as well, um, you know, I've I've had a, a sobriety journey. Um, and I think that there's so much pressure um, to be on, relationship, on, on relationships in order to feel whole. So there's so much of us that feel unless we're in a relationship or unless we're seen in a certain way, unless we're living a certain life, that um, that we can't, there's something wrong with us. And I think that drives enormous amounts of anxiety. And it also certainly, when you're not thinking rationally, you're going to, one goes to a default place of, I'm not good enough. If my boyfriend leaves me, there's something wrong with me. If And that just becomes a narrative that goes on and on in one's head. 
that, you know, and it stems right back to one's insecurity of self and of the situation. If you are, uh, if you do drink, then, you know, you do feel out of control and out of sync. So it would explain a behavior like that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and you've been vocal about breaking the the stigma around or surrounding mental health, I should say. What are some common misconceptions about um, BPD that you would like to address? Well, I think um, the first common myth about any mental illness is, um, you know, and, and uh, in my book, uh, which I've I've recently launched called Hiding in the Open, Living Sensitively, um, in my book, um, I state there that, you know, people look at others that have mental illness and they look at them as being scary, like they're going to harm them or harm themselves or something like that. So there's a stigma around um, around mental illness. As far as borderline goes, the stigma is just cray cray. They think all, you know, like you're just completely like completely crazy. Um, some some psychologists believe years ago, not too long ago, actually, in like the 70s, that borderline uh, people that suffered were not able to treat because it's so difficult to define their disorder um, that they were untreatable. Um, but the common stigmas around borderline are, are, are those with mental illness, you know, that I, and I personally think people's fear of um, or misunderstanding that causes stigma is based on their fear, because a lot of people, in my opinion, um, you know, are so worried that they can be classified because the degrees of separation of somebody that, you know, that you know, or somebody that you care about or whatever, having a mental disorder is very likely. So I think people tend to judge and stigmatize because of their, possibly because of their own fear of falling into a category with mental illness. So there are massive stigmas around, around that, um, that, you know, one I'm, I'm, I'm actively trying to, trying to, uh, demystify if I can and and have the conversations that are difficult to have. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are are af afraid to speak about it, you know, like, hey, do I have something, is something going on? Because we're conditioned and, you know, going back to what you were saying, like how we don't really know who who we truly are. Um, and I think a lot of it is because of our conditioning from like schools, you know, people who we hang out with, you know, um, even our government, <laughs> you know, so um, it's, it's, it's challenging because we want to discover who we are, but yet we're I mean, for personally speaking, I was very afraid and my nervousness, my anxiety started from when I was maybe eight years old and that was from childhood trauma and it started in my stomach and I was diagnosed having irritable bowel syndrome when really it was just nerves because I was just, I was fearful and then it wound up going up into my chest and then I started drinking because I thought that was going to help anxiety, but it made it way much worse. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm interested in your book though. Uh, so the journey and the journey and hiding in the opening, in the open, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and you discussed like the challenges of living with um, borderline personality disorder. Can you actually, can you share like a pivotal moment from your book that significantly impacted your own journey? Yeah, I'd like to just highlight here that and something that you brought up is really mm -hmm. pertinent now, and that is, you know, the trauma. So, yes, um, society and social media feeds into our sense of self-worth in a big way. Um, so as we all know, you know, I, I, I try and I stay off social media as much as possible, which doesn't really help me with a, my business. I need to be on it. But 
um, it really doesn't, it doesn't make one feel a lot better about themselves a lot of the time. Um, but one of the things that really does affect and create mental illness is the families of origin. So you speak about childhood trauma and that uh, that really between zero and about 10 years of age are your formative years. That's when a lot of the conditioning that you have, the sense of self, the awareness of things, the hypervigilance to, if you grew up in a home that was traumatic, um, the, the likelihood of you suffering from some mental illness, such as anxiety or, or you know, a disorder is pretty high. Um, so I, I grew up in a highly dysfunctional home. Um, and I've realized, you know, the more people, interestingly, the more people I speak to, the more I realized I'm not alone. Um, and I never thought I was, but it's interesting that my book has started various conversations. Um, my, my father was abusive. My, um, you know, my mom got the brunt of most of it, but it had such a profound impact on me witnessing um, the abuse, um, that I started to become like, I would switch off in such a way emotionally, um, that I would, I would just disappear. And I would often question, uh, you know, I could, I could give you examples of what happened and that are written in my book, but, um, I would often question what the reason for living was, you know, I would kind of say, well, is, if this is life, I don't know that I want it. And that's another thing about uh, borderline is um, there's a very high suicide rate with borderlines because they, you know, they they kind of, it's a weird dichotomy. They, they want to, they don't want to die, but they don't want to live either a lot of the time. And it's just trying to escape the emotional pain that is so difficult. And, I, you know, again, it's not just with borderline. I think that a lot of people that suffer from anxiety and mental illness have those feelings at some point that they just don't know how they, how to get through, you know, how to manage the situation or ma manage a moment. Um, and yeah, I mentioned kind of recovery in my book. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you, um, how does one actually diagnose someone and say, hey, okay, you are clin clinically diagnosed as having um, borderline personality disorder? Well, and as I said, it does need to be um, a clinical diagnosis. So between my psychologist and psychiatrist. So to start off, I was diagnosed many years ago with having bipolar, mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't understand, you know, bipolar is, bipolar one is having massive highs and massive lows. Um, I just kind of had a lot more lows and very few highs. So um, I went to seek help and uh, between my doctor, my psychiatrist and psychologist, they diagnosed it. And they said that there is a way that's, that you can arrest the traits. So it basically means there's things you can do in order to live a, a life worth living, but, but it takes work um, and it does, it, it's possible, but you know, you can't ever not be a borderline or if you have anxiety, the likelihood of you not having anxiety is, is again, is pretty low. You just need to learn how to manage it. Yeah. So what? So, are, oh, go ahead. No, 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 Karen. Oh, I was say, yeah. What are some of the things that we can do to manage our anxiety? There's, you know, there's a lot of methods, but I go back to um, there's a practice called DBT, dialectal behavioral therapy, 
And it's like an extension of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. It's a mindfulness-based practice. Um, so it's very much about living in the moment, validating your experience, how you're feeling. Um, it's emotionally regulate. It's about emotional regulation. Um, you know how to communicate in relationships, but it's all on a very mindful practice. Um, and going to your breath, you know, it's all the mindfulness kind of practices um, that one would that one would do. The most important thing I think is is validating one's experience. So, for instance, if you are feeling a certain way, to not say what is wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way? But to rather say, I'm feeling this way. I understand it. I might be acting a little irrationally, but I'm feeling this way because that triggered me. So to have the conversation with yourself, that immediately kind of calms you down. Then to, to do some instant kind of breath work that will make you just start breathing again. And with anxiety, people forget to breathe. Mm-hmm. And that's why then you think, hang on, I'm not breathing. And then you feel as if it goes like you get a golf ball in your throat and you can't, you know. So it's it's going back to your breath. And sometimes it's difficult when you're sitting at a dinner table, something triggers you and you just sit there going, you know, doing yoga breaths. But there's very simple techniques that you can do that you can do in the moment. Um, there's something in, and I call it box breathing because it's easy to remember. So as if you are drawing a box with your breath. So you count, you breathe in deep for four counts, you hold it for four counts, you breathe out for four counts, and then you just remain still for four counts. If you can do a couple of those, it's amazing how it just settles you into the moment before you can react. So what you the ideal is to get a handle on how you're feeling, how to respond to it is through breath, and then to act as opposed react to reacting to what the situation is. So once you control yourself, a lot of people find that to remove themselves from the situation, perhaps and go and splash wood on their face to eat a, a very strong mint. It's really just a situational thing where you have to, for a moment, just stop how you're feeling. Totally makes sense. It reminded me of one time I was in an outpatient program for anxiety. Really, it was for because I was drinking, but I was keeping that a secret. I didn't want to admit that I was an alcoholic at that time. But I was, uh, I remember the counselor, teacher, mentor, I'm not sure what she was. She was yeah. there. Someone was experiencing anxiety at that at, the, at that time. And then she, I guess she was asking her a question and she got like nervous and scared. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm experiencing anxiety. I can't really talk right now. And then the lady started asking her different questions about different things in her life, you know, and then she started responding to them. And then um, the teacher asked the, the woman, now, how do you feel now? She's like, oh yeah, I, don't, I feel much better because she diverted her, her mind and thinking to whatever the or conversation was. Yeah, exactly. Instead of not, instead of thinking about her anxiety. Because really anxiety yeah. for me personally is like fear, fear of the unknown. Like, like I, like I would get like for me, for example, I would be so scared that I was going to pass out <laughs> from like breathing too fast or hyperventilating that I was going to black out, especially when I was driving. I was fearful. Like I would just tense up all of a sudden because there's some crazy drivers over here <laughs> anyway. So I would like tense up and then start breathing. And then I'd be so scared, like, oh my goodness, am I going to pass out? Am I going to, like, all these questions, what if, what if, what if? But it's like, no, no, no. And like you said, if I would have done that boxing, but that box technique of breathing, I think that just would have helped me just be in the present moment <laughs> instead of just overthinking everything. 
I think that makes sense. Um, and and what you're saying is very, very real to a lot of people, you know, in a driving situation. I mean, one can, can and, and that's the thing, when you're living in the future, when you get into your car and you think, oh my goodness, what can happen to me? You can get anxious. If you live in the present, you can manage the present. So if you get in your car and you say, I'm driving the speed limit, I'm doing everything right, nothing's going to happen to me in this moment. You live in this moment, in this moment. If you're thinking ahead, you get anxious. If we think about the future and what may happen, we get anxious. So it really is, and you know, people talk about it all the time about staying present. Um, it really is saying, I'm okay in this moment. I'm okay in this moment. Right now, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And just, you know, in your mind, having that conversation with yourself, because, um, you know, I always say that if you look in the past, you get depressed. And if you look in the future, you get anxious. So all you have is the present to deal with. Yes, the present moment. I actually have a tattoo. It says, be here now. It was like a reminder of like, be here now. Like, this is all we have is right now. <laughs> That's all we have right now. <laughs> So yeah, well, I, I have a tattoo as well, and it's uh, it says "Live the Dash." Oh, yeah, the dash that. is on your um, on your tombstone when you die. You have the date you're born and the date you die, and there's a dash in between those two dates. Ah, I was wondering, like, I'm thinking about what is dash? between those two dates, you got to live. Oh, but that makes total sense. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. you mentioned reaching a point in life where you recognize your power to change your path. Now, can you elaborate on that turning point and, and how that actually embraced your challenges? Absolutely. I was in a, another dead end relationship, um, thinking that I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I was super depressed and nothing was helping um, and somebody suggested that I go and see a counselor that specialized, as I said, in this technique called dialectal behavioral therapy. And I was at rock bottom. I, um, I've experienced rock bottoms before, but this was just like, I, I actually, I didn't know what to do. I had, I had nothing left in the tank. So I went to go and see this guy and we spoke for a bit. And for the first time, he actually validated my experience, what I was going through, how I was reacting, how I was responding. And I said to him, you know, what, what is wrong with me? So he said, well, this is how you're feeling. You, you've got certain issues that need to be managed in a special way. So I embarked on a journey with him where I did this training for, for a year. And it was actually devised the DBT skills, dialectal behavioral therapy is so it's a it's an it's a way of seeing two opposites as opposed to seeing just black and white. When we tend to get in a situation where we get anxious or where we see black or white, we think everything's bad or everything's good. So this training also teaches you to look at everything on a spectrum to stand back and get perspective. So I dived into this. I thought, what have I got to lose? And every single day for a year. I did this. And what happened at the end of it, and he promised me that, he said, I promise at the end, once you finish this, you will know that you will live a life that is worth living. And that is so true. It's what happened for me. It was as if suddenly there was light. Suddenly I felt lighter. But part of that has also been me putting a manifesto together, which I've put in my book. There are certain things that I need to be 
damn sure I'm going to do every single day to make sure that I'm okay. And that's where recovery comes in too. That's what you need to do each day, one day at a time to be able to get through the day. And I know that I need certain things. I know that I need to get seven to eight hours of sleep a day. I know that I need to do exercise. I know there's a certain thing that that we have that I have to do. So that is how it affected me. My, my life got to a point where, I, as I said to you, I didn't want to live, but, you know, I didn't want to die. Um, and I just wanted, I just needed a change. And this was, it seemed doable. It seemed that I could manage it just one day at a time, going through this, the process um, and learning more about myself, which was, which was in the, at, at the time, which was fantastic help. Yeah, it is true. One day at a time, you know, that's all we have is the present moment. And we just go day by day, day by day. And you're just incrementally, in, yeah. incrementally, it just seems a lot easier to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. your story is incredibly inspiring. Um, what is the key message you hope readers will take away from your book? Um, and just, I should say what and get that aha moment. <laughs> um, well, there's a lot, but I think the, the the key thing for me is um, I'm hoping that through the message of my book, I can help people see that they're not alone, that they should lean into the difficult uh, conversations, start talking to people about mental illness, start being more vulnerable. Um, but also that, you know, there's the power to change the way that you think. There is a power for you yourself to take responsibility and change the way that your brain works. And I talk about that in my book, um, that you can, you know, over a period of time, you can change the way that you do things. Um, and it really is for me about self-empowerment with mental illness. So instead of a lot of people can't access help, can't, can't afford it, whatever, there's a way that you can actually change the way that you are thinking and live a life of living. Oh, I love that. Yes. And where can people find your book? My book is on Amazon and it's on Kindle. I uh, haven't yet done an audible book, but um, that's in the pipeline. So it is available and it's hiding in the open and it's living sensitively. So that's the, it's, that's a subtitle. That's awesome. And I'll have all that in the show notes as well. Um, but has actually sharing your story publicly, you know, through your book and maybe perhaps even speaking engagements, has that impacted your own healing process? Definitely, definitely has, you know, like anything. And that's, I talk about as the, the book, you know, it's called neuroplasticity and your brain. And what, what happens is if you do something over a period like of time, things change. So this is like a positive affirmations for me all the time. Um, and talking about it and you know it's interesting when you start having conversations with people how they lean in as well so if you start breaking stigmas and start you know people people may look at me or you and think your life's perfect and then when they start you know when you're honest with them and you open up a little bit then they think hang on a second if I thought her life was perfect my life you know is is okay so it's um yeah it's uh it's it's been very it's been very good for me this process it's been great yeah, and I've, I've been honored to have have been able to do it yeah definitely therapeutic um just writing your story and having it there because I'm trying to write a book myself <laughs> I haven't okay. touched it in like three in three months but I noticed as I was writing it I just I felt better like I feel like oh, 
breath of fresh air. It's like journaling, isn't it? It's like journaling when you get, it's, there's something that actually happens when you're writing with a pen and it's coming out of you. And they say that's why sometimes just journaling, just writing whatever comes to your mind. As far as the book, it also kind of tends to happen when the time, when it happens. Um, my, my, I mean, my, I, I'm very blessed to have been able to put it together and I dedicate it to my children um, so that they can know what their crazy mom was going through. <laughs> <laughs> what she was doing her best to possibly do her best but um you know I always say that we do the best with the tools that we have so um but it it'll happen I just I it, it was slow in the beginning and then it just flowed and it'll flow yes and that's what I was uh hoping that my son he's 15 and I have uh two little ones as well but uh with my older son I do want him to read my story and you know I do my podcast and I you know I have TikTok and he actually added me on TikTok but I didn't know he had a TikTok account and so I'm I hope he actually like looks at some of the the sound bites that I have of speaking with like guests and talking about like mental health and things that we all go through as human beings you know because <laughs> we're all we've all gone through it <laughs> we've we're gone through it <laughs> we're all spiritual people having a human experience right Totally. Yes. And then for those who might be actually struggling with BPD and other mental illnesses, just like depression, anxiety, what advice would you actually offer them based on your experiences and journey? I would suggest that they are gentle with themselves and understand that there's most of us are affected in some way and that they should find ways of managing it. Um, to the best of their ability and if it's reading reading as much as they can about recovery um, reading about as I said dbt skills uh, cbt whatever but it's becoming empowered with knowledge um, and not being afraid to to talk to people and being you know vulnerable one has to be mindful of who they who they're vulnerable with but it's you you'd be surprised if I always say if you lean in how people lean in with you you know so start having conversations. I think that's important. Yes, I I agree. I agree. Now, where can our listeners go ahead and either follow? I know you said you weren't too much on social media, but uh, in case they want to see you on social media or perhaps your website. Yeah, my website is Nikki Sachs, N-I-K-I-S-A-K-S, like Sachs Fifth Avenue, Nikki Sachs at uh, .com. So it's NikkiSachs.com. Um, they can email me uh, from the website um, directly. Um, my email address is NikkiSachsAuthor at gmail.com. Um, and I'm happy to talk to people that, you know, a lot of people have reached out to me um, about family members or somebody they think or a partner that they think may have the symptoms of that, um, of BPD. So I'm I'm obviously not a uh, psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm a wellness mentor. I've studied coaching. Um, and all I can do is share my experience. I can't give a diagnosis, but I'm very, very willing to have a conversation with anybody that needs to reach out. That's wonderful, Nikki. Well, any last words or last thoughts? I just, um, you know, it's, I just say, don't give up until the miracles happen. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> okay. I think that, you know, when, even when you're feeling really not great, um, the next day can be miraculous. So it's just to keep on keeping on. Yeah, keep going. 
Well, yeah. thank you so much, Nikki. It's such a blessing to have you on my show and just sharing all of your insights and expertise and helping those who needed to hear this message today. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on your show, Gina. Thank you. It's been lovely. To my cherished listeners, from the very depths of my heart, thank you. Every single one of you who've showered me with those warm five-star reviews, your kindness shines so brightly. And if you haven't yet, know that your voice and support always matter. Your unwavering love has lifted us onto Feedspot's esteemed list of best women's sobriety podcasts, and it truly warms my heart. With immense love and care, I've created something for you. Introducing the Overcoming Challenges mini course, crafted especially with the intention to guide and support you through life's varied phases, because we all deserve gentle guidance as we navigate life's tides. Furthermore, I have two heartfelt gifts for our listener family. One is a seven-day challenge, a tender beginning for those curious about sobriety. The other, a personal sharing from my journey, a six-step blueprint towards an alcohol-free life. These are the steps I took, I embraced beyond AA and the traditional 12 steps that have nurtured my own sobriety journey. To embrace these tokens of gratitude and love, simply text GIFT, that's G-I-F-T, to 1-855-649-6196. Again, that's the word GIFT, G-I-F-T, at 1-855-649-6196. With all of my love and deepest gratitude, I cherish each and every one of you.